Welcome to God, Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Meg Hepner. Meg is a hypnotherapist and a podcaster. We have an awesome conversation about overcoming societal conditioning and just becoming the kind of person we want to become. And it's a great conversation. I hope you enjoy. Check me out on Instagram at NewerKidWi. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Meg Hepner. Hey, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. Today I'm here with Meg Hepner. Meg, thanks for joining me. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I've been waiting for this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, that's nice of you to say. I, I have been as well. Um, I just had your husband on the last episode and uh, we had such an amazing conversation and he mm-hmm. recommended you and I'm like, yes, let's do this. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> oh, so he set the bar high. I really got to I got to measure up because he's a pretty brilliant guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right. Well, you're complimenting him right off the bat. So that's a good sign. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, let me just uh, introduce you a little bit to my audience. Uh, you have your own podcast, The Art of Being uh human <laughs> podcast um and you're also a hypnotherapist you're a coach you uh help other people out um maybe if you want you can maybe elaborate on that a little bit yeah for sure um you know i find that for most of us we reach a point in life where we go oh i think i fucked everything up right like yeah. we get to that point where we go oh i did everything i'm supposed to do and i'm not happy and at that point, you kind of want to burn it all to the ground. And that's where I love to step in and and journey with people where they're like, Oh, I have fucked it up. I need to do something different. And I don't know what to do. And I like to step in with people there and go, well, you know what, let's tear down all the stuff you built and and look at it and look at what's still valuable to you. And then let's build something that's more authentic to who you are. Um, Because most of us, we build our lives on other people's expectations and then we get to a point where that doesn't satisfy us. And so then we got to do the hard work of growing up and building a life on our own values and beliefs and et cetera, et cetera. So that's what I love to do with people. Yeah, that's amazing. And you're right. Like, uh, I think so many of us, we do build our lives based on others' expectations or society's expectations or whatever. And yeah, it's unhealthy. And when you actually go through that process of like seeing it, which can be painful, but yeah. once once you see that and you can kind of actually go and build something more authentic and like look at who you really are, right? Yeah, totally. Well, and here's the thing, you know, we that's just sort of how society is set up. And so one of some one of the things that that happens to a lot of people when they get to that point of tearing it all down is they go, I've wasted a bunch of time. Like, oh, what what have I done? And what we have to remember is like, that's how life is set up. When we're first born, we don't have an identity, right? We're so in, in mesh with our mothers or whoever, you know, yeah, our mothers that we assume we're them in the first like six months of mm-hmm. life. We don't even know we're an identity and we build our identity based on what other people tell us. 
and based on a reward and punishment system, right? Like if you reward me, like for yourself, if you're rewarded for being funny, you grow up to be a comedian, right? If you're rewarded for, you know, something else, like I was rewarded for being a good girl, right? So I grew up very spiritual. Oh, I want to be good, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And then at some point in time, you have to do the growing up process. It's what everyone has to do. You, you build your identity. Okay. This is who people have told me I am. Then you become an adult and you go, now I'm the voice. Now I'm the one who tells me who I am. And so it's not a waste of time because without those people having mirrored for you, kind of values, beliefs, who you were, you would never have been able to form your identity. But most people miss that next step where you have to tear it down and rebuild it for yourself because you grew the fuck up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so many people don't grow up. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think getting to that point of like building that new identity or going deeper into your identity, it like comes from two places. It's one, like you either build up your awareness so you can see this, um, see like yeah. what parts of your identity from your past isn't serving you anymore. And what's like the deeper parts of yourself that are like screaming out for like, this is what I want kind of thing. Or you get kind of forced into that situation just by like experience, like the world will give you an experience that'll kind of force you to be like, all right, this identity yeah. isn't working anymore. And you have to go further, right? Totally, totally. Um, I love this. Um, he's a he's a spiritual I don't know, mentor for me. Um, his name is Father Richard Rohr. I don't know if you've ever um, no, run into him, but oh, he's he's fabulous. He's, he's a Franciscan priest and he's just amazing. And this is what he says. And I have to agree with him. He says, um, change or transformation comes either through great love or great suffering. And if mm. you have great love, you will have great suffering. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so it's like, you have to kind of get knocked on the head for you to actually wake up and go, oh, I'm growing up and I have to make my own decisions. I have to decide what I value. I have to decide what I believe, you know, and, and as difficult as that is like, what a gift, you know, like what a gift to be able to go, I get to choose. We all want to be free, but when we're actually free, we sell our freedom as quickly as possible, right? Mm -hmm. Because you, you grow up, you're like, oh shit, I'm free. And then you go, oh, so then what does my school tell me? What does my peers tell me? What did my job tell me? You know, what do, what does the government tell me? What is, what does pop culture tell me? And then we give our freedom away right away. And then yet we still go like, oh, we want to be free. It's like, no, you don't actually. Human beings are very uncomfortable with freedom because freedom means responsibility and we don't want to be that. And it's not because we're bad. It's just, it's very, very scary to say I'm responsible and I have to face the unknown that scares mm-hmm. us which is fair I mean of course it honestly that's a great way of uh, putting it I never uh, heard it like that but it's true once once we get freedom like we want to sell that right away and it's like you're right freedom is uh there's a ton of responsibility in there and we you have to be really like mature and and aware to be able to like allocate that responsibility like properly so like that is a really cool thing and like I I think what we're all a lot of us are trying to say is kind of breaking through like what we call the status quo is kind of what you're kind of going with right here and and like I I think that we're getting to a point in society right now with just everybody has to kind of break through it in some things like even if you have like a regular job like I've seen like my friends who are accountants who kind of completely change the way they work and do their life just because they want something that works for them even more so like I I feel like everyone's kind of breaking through the status quo these days oh you know what we are so lucky 
to be alive during this time because all of these institutions are really letting us down. And so we're forced to live outside of the status quo. We're actually being pushed to say like the old system doesn't work and it's happening everywhere, right? Because if you think about it, like, and, and you'll have to forgive me if I get some of my dates wrong, but if you look at like the 1950s, we were sold the American dream, right? I'm not from America, I'm from Canada, but still, we had a Canadian version of that, right? So <laughs> like, I'm Canadian too, it's the same, yeah, <laughs> okay, yeah. Perfect, yeah. So like you were sold this dream that we can have home ownership, that we can have more than our parents had, that we can move, you know, into a more successful way of living. And that worked for a while, right? Like, because if you think about it in the 1940s, people didn't have like home ownership was not normal, right? Like it was most people rented or there were landowners and, or, or landlords, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then all of a sudden you hit the 1950s and people are owning their own homes. People are buying cars. People are saying like, this is my space. And all of a sudden you're getting these two bedroom houses and three bedroom houses. And then the next generation comes along and it's like a four bedroom house. And then you eventually have to stop that because you can't go from a four bedroom house to an eight bedroom house to a 16 bedroom house. Yeah. Like at some point in time, that system has to break down and a, and a, and a, and a generation has to come that goes, Oh shit, we can't double this. We can't move forward at the same rate as other people. So it's happening in, in the consumerism of our society. It's happening in our education. It's happening in the way the government is being run. And because we're inundated with social media and with, with 24 hour news, we start to see hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. everywhere and go like none of these systems are working and we're so lucky because that means we are a generation that's responsible for building a new way of doing things like talk about an honor you know like <laughs> instead of just, <laughs> just doing the status quo that we can go no we're tearing that down and and we're going to build something that's based on different values i i think that's beautiful no i think that's beautiful too and that's like a perfect way to describe it um I, and I agree. It's like building different values. I think we're starting to see that as, in a society, like starting to, it's starting to come. Like I know it takes a while and these changes kind of happen slowly, but I think they kind of start at the individual and community level. And there's like, you can see different kind of values starting to appear through different individuals and communities and, you know, they're starting to grow. So I, I love that. Yeah. I, 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 oh, sorry. No, no, you go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. I'm so sorry. I apologize. Um, no, I was just going to say, like, I, I love that because one of the things that we have learned to value um, as a society is hierarchy, right? We've learned to do glorification of the positive. We've learned to um, really remove death from us. Um, and we've just really gone into like hierarchy, meritocracy, the glorification of success, all these different things. And I was telling you before we started recording, this is why I think comedians are so important because you come and you take all this sort of ugliness that the world has for us sometimes, and you make us laugh about it. You mm. give, you give us the opportunity to process and to relook at what's happening and you inspire us or spark us to go, yeah, wait, that is a bullshit way of doing it. Yeah, wait, why are we doing that? That is messed up. And hopefully every time we leave a, a comedy club or every time we leave a comedian, we go, huh, yeah, that made me think. And we can go out into society and go, I'm not gonna live by those bullshit things anymore. I'm not just gonna let that crap go. I'm gonna, I'm gonna live by other values, equality, 
right? Every voice matters and we want to hear each other, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, I could go on and on about that forever, but I interrupted you, so I'm sorry about that. Honestly, though, I love how you said the glorification of the positive. Uh, mm -hmm. That's uh, that's an interesting, uh, maybe can you expand on that? Because you're right, the society does glorify everything that's good, yeah. but they it tries to have a blind spot and like act like nothing that's bad exists kind of thing. And it, when it's okay. like so obviously in front of our faces. Yeah, totally. Like if you look at, I mean, take any success story, right? You take Elon Musk, you take Richard Branson, you take Michael Jordan. That's going to age me a little bit. I'm, <laughs> I grew up watching Michael Jordan. So um, I'm a little bit um, given my age away here, but um, you look at all those people and all we know is their championships, their successes, their business acquisitions. We know all of these incredible things that they've done. And so then what we do is we put them on a pedestal saying, ah, that's my hero. That's the guy who can make anything happen. And we give them godlike qualities. Mm. And then we say, that's what I must inspire, aspire to. I must have those godlike qualities. And so anytime we see ourselves struggle, we get down on ourselves. We go, oh, I'm such a piece of crap. Like, I'm not like Elon Musk. I'm not making billions and gazillions of dollars every day. Therefore, I have no worth. And so I must you know, glorify him. And I must associate with him in order to get sort of that, that trickle down effect, right? Like, oh, yeah, I love Tesla, man, because, you know, uh, that attaches me to Elon Musk. So it gives me that tiny bit of connection to that glorification, that godlike power, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or even if like, and, and okay, so we saw this happen. Um, and I don't want to bring up anything that divides the listeners, but we saw it happen with Will Smith this last year right? Will Smith, we glorified him and his successes. We went, he's an amazing actor. He's all these amazing things. He's only amazing. And we refuse to acknowledge that he's a human who has flaws and does shitty things and messes up and also doesn't know where, what he's doing. So then when he goes on stage and slaps someone, we like, oh, we hate him, right? We, <laughs> we pull him off that pedestal so fast and we go, what a crap person instead of going well that was there all along I just didn't allow myself to acknowledge that he was as human as me mm -hmm. right and we do that because we're scared of our own humanness we're scared of the fact that we're uncertain and we could die in any moment right that we don't know what's going to happen next to us and so we build up these characters to say no man can be godlike we can uh, overcome everything and we take comfort in it, but it's a really unhealthy way to walk through life. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, very interesting. Like you're right. Like our insecurities try to make us like make these godlike figures even like more, like we strongly get attached to them because of that. So like, it's funny, like how you're right. Like our, it comes through our fear almost. Right. Yeah. It's amazing what, what we prioritize value or love or the activities we participate in that are all fear soothing, mm. right? Like if you look at our obsession with youth, right? You, you gotta stay young. You gotta look young. You gotta act young. You got like anything that's aging about you must be modified, right? Why, why? Because signs of aging are signs that we are not godlike. We will die, we're mm -hmm. mortal. That's uncomfortable. If you look at our obsession with sex, 
right? Sex is the, the opposite of death. It's life-giving. And mm -hmm. so we're obsessed with what gives us life, what gives us life, what gives us life. And so we, we're, we're obsessed with like, you know, that next sexual conquest or, or you know, what are we going to watch or what are we going to do this? And, and so we give ourselves to that. We don't even realize that it's our subconscious fear of death that's making us watch or look or participate with this kind of stuff, right? Or violence or the way we treat our older generation, the way we put them into homes and like remove them from society so that we don't have to deal with anything that tells us we're mortal. But what we don't realize is that when you confront your mortality, you feel so fucking alive because you realize it's a gift. And so when you don't face death, you think you're owed something. I'm owed something. No, every freaking moment you get to be on this planet is a gift. So imagine yourself walking into any situation going, this is my gift. This is my gift. This person, this enemy is my teacher. This person that I love is, is a gift. Like, oh, what a different way to walk through the world. Ha, ha, ha. I love my soapbox now. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I love that. Honestly, I like I, I know exactly what you're saying. And yeah, that like you're right. Like a lot of that is just fear, especially a fear of death. That is a big one that like subconsciously just like goes through our whole culture, which is so uh it's so funny to see. But it's true when you can confront that. And like the thing is it's inevitable. We're all gonna eventually confront that. Like we're all gonna have like a family member like or just like even ourselves like through sickness or whatever like we're gonna have to confront that so it is something i think i think even the stoics used to talk about like if you confront it early and like it's just a lot better for you like mental mentally especially right yeah totally and you know it's interesting because we're talking a little bit about like removing yourself from the status quo right like going oh i don't have to live the way everyone tells me that I have to live. And that's kind of beautiful because that requires that you go through little mini deaths, right? Like if you decide, I don't have to live by the standards the society has set for me, you have to go through that grieving process because you will lose things, right? Mm -hmm. So like, even if I think about my husband and myself, we moved across country and we became minimalists, right? I know you can't tell that by the bookcase behind me. It's the <laughs> only place I'm not a minimalist. I'm like, I must have my books and they can never leave me. <laughs> so I'm a little bit of a hoarder when, with books, but every, in every other way, we're minimalists. We try to live in the smallest space that we can. We try to reuse whatever we can, and we try to purchase as little as possible. And it's interesting because that living outside of the status quo in that way has caused us to have to face what other people think of us. And that means we have to face the fact that other people are not impressed with that lifestyle because we have no signifiers, right? Mm. We purchase things to signify to the world how far we've made it. Mm -hmm. And so if you don't have signifiers, people tend to disregard you. Oh, you don't think it's important to own a fancy car, have a big house and you know carry a Louis Vuitton purse? Well, then I don't know where to place you in the hierarchy. So I'll dismiss you. So you have to face that going, oh, okay, you won't respect me because you can't see my signifiers. So you don't know what to do with me. I'll be outside of the system for you. And it's interesting that happened with our family because they're like, but you can't possibly be happy in this lifestyle. And we're like, yeah, we are. And they're like, but like someday you'll get a bigger house, right? And we're like, no, this is how we want to live. And so for them to sort of be dismissive and go like, oh, poor you guys was a death. And, and so it's facing that death of going, I will not meet your expectations and I'll have to deal with what that feels like. Yeah, and that no can kidding. feel like shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that's, 
true for people who decide to not get married. That's true for people who decide a completely different career path than their the expectations. That's true for especially, you know, the LGBTQ community and the trans community who goes like, we're going to live completely differently. And that's going to have huge consequences and it's going to require me to face death, which is why I think for anyone who's living status quo, we need to look at those people who aren't and say, you're my teacher because you're doing something braver than I have ever possibly even imagined, mm. right? And so anytime you look at someone who's living outside of, of what you think is normal and, and having to face those consequences to really go like, God, you're such a teacher, I honor you. Um, and, and I wanna learn from you and I wanna see like, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? You know, mm -hmm. can you imagine sitting across the table from someone and going, because you're massively different, I need to learn from you? Like, that would be incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, thanks for sharing that, honestly. And like, uh, I, I, I know what you're saying. You have to face these little deaths all the time, especially if you are going outside the status quo. I know as a comedian, I did the same. And like, you just kind of reminded me of it. For me, it was like years ago where I had to face that. But you had to face your parents' expectations. You had to face your friends' expectations. And then like, you know, your friends end up becoming like uh, successful, going the status quo route. And like, you have to face that as a, in itself as well. And uh, you just kind of go through your own life. So it like, there's a lot of little mini deaths that come along with that, where you have to be okay with that. You have to be okay with like, all right, this person doesn't really respect me because of my decisions. I'm fine with that. And I just like, you know, there might be a death in a relationship because of that. So I was just wondering, mm -hmm. like, when you're being a minimalist, like, did, did you have this from friends as well? Like where like a friendship almost ends because of this uh, lifestyle mm -hmm. change? Well, you know what, actually, when I turned 40, I, I took a vow of poverty for myself which basically just means I don't want to accumulate. I want everything to just run through my fingers, right? So whatever comes to me, I will use if I need it. And then after that, it runs through my fingers. Mm. And people are extremely uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Right? Because our entire system is set up as a consumerist system. And so we must constantly be consuming, we must constantly be getting more and more and more and bigger and better. And so I didn't have a loss of friendship because of it. Thank God I'm surrounded by people who accept me for my weird ways. Mm -hmm. um, but it was amazing, the feeling of people that are just outside my closest friends. Um, so family members, maybe from an extended family, or people that you know, normally if you'd meet at a networking event or whatever are extremely dismissive. Mm. They're extremely dismissive. They're like, oh, so, you know, because this is what we do in society. We get together and we talk about our sig signifiers, right? We talk about the things that tell the world we've made it. Oh, you wouldn't believe I was in Europe last month or, oh, you wouldn't believe, you know, we're getting the kitchen renovated or, oh, you, right? And so we're constantly letting people know this is how we're consuming. This is how I'm proving my worth. So when you get into a group and they go, you know, they're sharing their, their stories and they go, how about you? And I'm going, oh, I'm really content with where I am. And I'm trying to get rid of more stuff. Crickets. Do you know what I mean? Like legitimately, like nobody knows how to respond. And so you have to go like, do I say what I'm, how I'm living? Do I not say how I'm living? 
thing. Like recently I, I was, I, I received a beautiful gift. Um, but the gift was a signifier for everything I don't believe in. <laughs> so it was a signifier of like, it, it was, it was, it was something that was, you know, very name brand that people are like, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. cool right now it's just like, oh, this makes me so sad. I'm thinking like, I, yeah. And then you have to go in that moment. You have to make a split decision. Do I care about the relationships? Do I say how I think about this? Like, what do I do? And so then you kind of have to put on what feels like a face. You go, Oh my God, you're so generous. Thank you so much. This is so mm-hmm. kind when it isn't your value. So that's another part of it. That's really kind of weird because you don't want to offend people. Anyway, I don't know if that answered your question. I kind of got on a bunny trail. But <laughs> no, no, I love <laughs> that. that. Some benefit. No, I, I love that. And uh, honestly, like, it's it's funny how you said like in society we do talk to each other based on these signifiers and it's it's it is insane like uh even as a comedian I do the same like when I'm talking with my friends I want to tell them about the successes that I'm having or like you know I'm like you know I don't have uh, a big house or anything so I don't have that signifier so I'm kind of going like fucking well like you know I'm working (laughs) on an album I'm doing this I'm touring these Mm -hmm. places so it's like we kind of uh, do the same thing um like it's I think it's just like kind of in our head like it's a habit like just like this is how we get worth or self-worth is through this right and I I really want to like I wish we could like normalize talking about something that's deeper maybe talking about values talking about growth talking about uh transformation like these kind of things which I think are values that are a lot better to have and I think a lot better to bring up in conversations. Cause like if that, if we started changing our conversations as a society like that, I think our values will grow out of that as well. Right. 100%. Cause can you imagine sitting down with a group of people and going, having the conversation of, Hey, here's how I took care of myself this month. Here's how I rested. Here's how I rejuvenated myself instead of this constant doing, doing, doing. Now here's the thing though. There's nothing wrong with doing right? Mm -hmm. There are some people who are very just like, gosh, they just love to do. And that's awesome. But it's the energy that you hold it with, right? So like, if you hold whatever activity you're doing, or whatever you're purchasing with this, ah, this means I'm good enough. Mm -hmm. That is, you're really holding it with an energy of fear, right? But if you're doing and you're accomplishing and all that stuff, I don't want shit on those people. That's fantastic. Like I'm, I'm happy that there are people that love to do and accomplish and blah, 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 blah. But if you're holding that by look at the beautiful contribution I can make to other people, then you're holding it with a, with an energy of love. And that's completely different because when you are fear-based or love-based, like you will show up completely differently. And then those things that you accomplish or, or accumulate they don't hold the same signifying kind of, um, I don't know, meaning or whatever. They're different. And so, yeah. So I just want to make that clear because sometimes we can, we can crap on the people that are the doers and stuff. And, and no, and, uh, and uh, like, honestly, I think a lot of my life has been trying to become like a lot more of a doer, but like find it in ways like exactly how you said, like where my energy is love rather than fear-based, like yeah. even seeing like your books and your background, like, you know, these are objects that you uh, collected, but like, you really love books and you really, this is something you want to <laughs> dive into. So it's like an energy that's good. Like with myself, like I want to spend money on my laptop because I use it like all the time for what I do. And I'm yeah. happy to like spend money on something that I give like more of a loving energy to, because it's different than if I'm spending money on like, uh, like 
you know, a big car or, you know, like an expensive car that I really have zero, like I have zero interest in cars. So like when I look at a nice car, I'm like, yeah, it's nice, but like I have no (laughs) real way to appreciate it. So it is coming from like, uh, Ooh, I just want people to think I'm cool. So like it is fear based. So I love that you have to have, uh, really look at the energy that you're given. It's, it's a good way to look at it. Yeah. And you know, one of the things that when you were talking about having different kinds of conversation and and showing up differently in the world, I think sometimes we make the assumption that because we're one individual, that we don't really make a difference, right? But we have to ask ourselves, where did all these societal stories come from, right? Where did we get the idea that you must graduate, get a good education, find a spouse, have kids, live in a big house and have a camper at the lake? Like, where did those things come from? It came from people collectively agreeing on that story. Mm. And so if we disagree, we are making a difference. And if we create a new story, we are making a difference. Because even if you look at Canada, right, you and I are both in Canada, there is no such thing as Canada. The only reason there's a Canada is because you know, 30 million people decide there is a Canada and then we convince the rest of the world, hey, these are our borders. This is our property. This is our land, which it really isn't. But I mean, we came here and took it over. Let's be honest, that's not the point, right? But we convince the rest of the world, hey, do you guys all agree with the story we're making up that this is our country? And the rest of the world goes, yep, we agree with that, Mm -hmm. right? So those are just a bunch of, that's just a bunch of people deciding there is a country called Canada. So if you live outside of the status quo and you want to build a new story, you just have to go, "Mm, this is my new story. These are my new conversations. This is the new way I'm, I'm, I'm showing up in the world. These are the values that I'm living in. And slowly but surely, you'll find like-minded people. This is huge, I think, for the LGBTQ and the, and the trans community really going, look, huh, guess what? We're, we have the right to love anyone we want. And that's okay. And that, you know, there's different parts of us that are very fluid and we can look at them and explore them and, and really dive into what that all actually means. And they're building a different society for us. Some people are very resistant to that. Some people are very open to that, but they're literally grouping into like-mindedness so that we can see a new story and decide, Hey, do I want to believe in love more than the traditional nuclear family? Maybe I do. So maybe I'll shift over into a more loving mindset mm-hmm. instead of overvaluing a nuclear family that's kind of a, that's maybe run its course, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, yeah. No, 100%. Um, especially now that you're like talking about these stories, we're talking about like fear-based and love-based, this kind of stuff. I'm just wondering, like with your background in hypnotherapy, um, like how do you use that, like your background to kind of tap into like, the stories we tell ourselves or the things we identify with um, that just might be holding us back. Like, can, do you use hypnotherapy to kind of like shift the shift those things? Yeah. You know what? It's so interesting because so much of how we make our stories is subconscious, right? So much of our belief system about ourselves is subconscious. We don't even realize that it's happening because our subconscious remembers everything, never forgets anything and puts together weird stuff. (laughs) right like if you think about a dream that you've had and you wake up and you go what the hell was that (laughs) (laughs) that was a messed up dream that's your subconscious putting weird stuff together that you didn't realize it was putting together right so your conscious mind then tries to rationalize all that stuff and so when you remove the conscious mind and just dive into the subconscious or the unconscious you can you can 
create transformation quicker because the conscious mind will often stop you, right? Like it's, I'll give you an example. If you are a child of a broken home, you know this, right? Like, let's say your parents got divorced as a kid. You go, Oh, it's my fault. What? No, it's not. It's not your fault. Your kid got, or your parents got divorced, but a lot of children who have parents who got divorced go, it's my fault. It's a very childlike way of trying to process. If I had been good enough, this wouldn't have happened because mm-hmm. it's something outside of our control. We're trying to control it. So we take the badness onto ourselves. So our parents can stay good, blah, 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 blah. Right. That's all pretty typical stuff. So the subconscious goes, I'm bad. My parents got divorced. This happened. The subconscious goes, I'm bad. Now, when you grow up, your conscious goes, no, I'm not. You know, my parents, this, my parents, that, but your subconscious is going, "Uh uh-uh, motherfucker, you're bad. Right. And so if you can move past the consciousness and go into the subconscious and go rewrite that story for yourself or, or, or modify that story by putting in some suggestions because your subconscious responds to suggestions, then you can slowly or quickly transform that in a way that you could have read a billion books. You could have gone to therapy. You could have seen a coach, but you could never get past it. Right. And so sometimes hypnotherapy can just remove your consciousness if it's not helping you and go into your subconscious and take care of some things that maybe you weren't prepared to take care of or, or just didn't know how to take care of. Yeah, that's really cool. So how do you how do you get past the conscious into the subconscious and like, can you how do you make a suggestion to the subconscious? Well, it's an interesting thing because it's almost like lulling the consciousness to sleep. Right. Mm-hmm. You're basically telling the consciousness it's OK you're safe, relax, tune out for a little while. A lot of people will even fall asleep through hypnotherapy, right? Their minds just kind of drift, but your subconscious never falls asleep. Mm -hmm. It never falls asleep. It never forgets. It's constantly alert. And so like, even if you've ever, you know, at night woken up and gone, did I just hear a sound, right? That's your consciousness that heard it, your conscious or your subconsciousness that heard it because your consciousness is fast asleep. It's like, ah, I'm out, right? So your subconscious went, I think I heard someone by the window. I think I heard the door. I think I heard a creak, right? And it's always listening. So if you can come to a hypnotherapy session, have someone lull you into just shutting down your consciousness a little bit, or just kind of separating the two, then as I'm talking, and your subconscious is listening, right? You can put in these beautiful little suggestions that the subconscious can accept that your consciousness might not be able to accept. And then you can go from there and all of a sudden you're finding yourself behaving in different ways. And you go, oh, I don't know why I chose to eat healthier today. Hmm, weird, I guess guess I'm making progress, right? Or I don't know why I, I you know, decided to forgive my mom because that's what happened to me. I, I had a really difficult relationship with, with my mom my mom's a lovely person, just a terrible mother. <laughs> At least she was when I was, a, uh, when I was a teenager. Now I love my mom dearly. So mom, if you're listening, I love you. <laughs> but um, there were times when, you know, she, she grew up in Mexico. She didn't have an education. She came from an abusive background herself. And so she just kind of lived what she knew. And so we were super contentious and I was in my early twenties and I went to an event where they practiced hypnotherapy. Um, they didn't advertise it as, as such, but that's really what it was looking back. And I had the ability to just sort of shut off all the resistance, right? Because the conscious mind gave me so much resistance. Like, you don't know my mother, my mother this, my mother that, right? That's what the conscious mind is doing. So it just shut that off for a moment and just dropped in these beautiful little ideas of how connected I really was with my mother and allowed me to see her in a new way. Because the other memories were there too. The times she loved me, the times she took care of me, that, that 
connection that we had, it was all there as well, but I wasn't allowing it to come through. And once I had that remembrance, once my subconscious went, oh, I'm going to let you remember this. Mm. I all of a sudden began to see my mom in a completely different way. And I went from Ugh, whatever to God, I love that woman. Like that woman has given everything to me, even though she did it wrong. She gave her very best. And as someone who was on the receiving end, it hurt sometimes because I didn't understand it. But God, like she tried. And ever since then, I mean, what was I? I was like maybe what, 27 at the time? Mm. So that was like, I'm not going to tell you how long ago that was. Many, many months ago. Many months ago. And since then, man, like I love that woman. And she's the same. She hasn't changed. She's just as messed up as she's always been. But like, I have so much love for her and we have our, our weekly Sunday calls where we sit and chat and, you know, like it's a beautiful thing because she doesn't live close to me. Um, but like, that's the power of hypnotherapy. You know, I couldn't have done that on my own or it would have taken me a longer time mm-hmm. to do that on my own, you know? So that's, uh, yeah, that's uh, beautiful. Honestly, that was really nice. So thanks for cha- mm-hmm. sharing that. I, I, I do love that, like going past the subconscious and I do love how, like you kind of said with your mom, like it was your consciousness that was like really resisting and like really trying to push away and uh, you know, like maybe even tell you like, Hey, this woman has been so bad, blah, blah, blah. I know how it goes, but it's kind of weird how like any kind of bad memories or maybe traumas or like just stuff from the past that stays with us in our consciousness in our bodies too. Right. Like it's not just our minds. It's our, it's our bodies and like where this trauma or this, uh, negative experiences of the past they can live and they come back and like that resistance is always there right yeah totally 100 and you make such a good point when you say it's in the body and i think this is a really really exciting thing about our society we are really beginning to understand the body mind spirit connection and i say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek because you know uh, there's a lot more to learn but we are really starting to realize that like unless you heal the body you, you will only get so and so far with your mind. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's extremely exciting. Um, Recently, my obsession has been meditation. And I find that extremely difficult, because I am a very cerebral person, right? The books behind me show it. I love information. And I love to read. And I think my mind can can conquer anything. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up with with three brothers. So I grew up with the example of being very logical, and you know, like, whatever. And, um, And so I was very disconnected, like most women are, to be honest, disconnected with my body. And so to reconnect with my body and to go like, oh, is there stuff stored in here? You know, stuff that I did not want to, to dig into or messages that I have been ignoring for so long. It's been amazing. And the meditation has actually really helped me to learn how to create a safe environment for my body so that my mind doesn't freak out. So I don't go so quickly into fight, flight, fawn, or freeze, or whatever, however many things there are now, however many coping methods we have. Um, But to really go like, no, I know, I know how to create a safe space for myself. Mm -hmm. And like, you're right, there's just so many coping mechanisms, like the flight, fright, all of that stuff is just like, you can feel it in your body. And that's good that you're doing meditation, mindfulness, like, that's such a good way to become more aware of what's going on in your body and all the different mechanisms your body has to like, really throw us off. Like, I I think one of the biggest things this podcast has even given to me is like talking to people 
and you're right, this mind body connection is becoming huge in our, uh, in our system. And like, I think that's going to be one paradigm shift that really can change a lot of just like medicine, health, uh, spirituality. So it'll be, it'll be interesting because for me personally, like learning that a lot of my anxiety was this kind of alarm that was like living in my body that I like when I started to like actually be able to calm down my mind through mindfulness and like feel that alarm and then kind of like you know it's a slow process but for me I was telling myself while feeling that alarm like hey I'm safe I'm fine and it just like uh, for me it was like calming down that conscious mind and so like both of those things didn't go off for me it would be like the alarm goes off and the anxious thoughts go off at the same time and then all of a sudden you get into this like anxiety cycle which is never fun but uh it's learning that like, Hey, this is in your body as well. And like, to like calm yourself down and be with it, tell yourself you're safe. So you don't set off those like neural pathways again, you know? Yeah. Okay. So I'm super curious when you first started comedy, did you find that was a very anxiety inducing thing, like getting up on stage and because my James and I just went to a comedy club like two weeks ago and I was watching these comedians because they were amateur, amateur comedians. I don't know if that's Mm. what you call them, but they were people who were trying out their stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, God, like, talk about having to have the biggest set of balls you've ever had to have. Like that's a lot to go up on stage and go, I'm going to make you laugh. And here there's a group of people going, well, we'll see. You know? <laughs> I would love to hear what that was like for you. Yeah. Well, like, honestly, I think, yeah, hundred percent. You go on stage, you got uh, the anxiety kind of creeps up. That was kind of like how I first like practice meditation in real life was just like, then anxiety would get to me before I'm going on stage, like the stage fright, and I just kind of breathe through it. So it was like, hey, just bring your mind back to your breath and just kind of breathe. And now it's just kind of how I'd like calm myself down. Um, and yeah, like I, I like that's pretty much uh, what comedy is, is like constantly you have that stage fright and is learning different ways to kind of calm yourself down. And uh, and like pretty much like just get better at it because like the better you get at it, the more you get more confident and you don't get the anxiety as much the longer you get into it but it'll always come back it's never gonna like go away completely it's always like around <laughs> yeah totally I can I can imagine it's funny right you're going up there to make us laugh but you're doing this like deep spiritual work in the background <laughs> it's just like you're sitting there going I'm learning how to meditate to calm my mind to be mindful and I'm gonna make you laugh motherfuckers like that's pretty that's pretty darn good (laughs) you're doing good work (laughs) yeah honestly though like with like how you're saying about putting ideas into the subconscious I I do remember like five six years ago when I was getting into comedy and like trying to like make it make myself be like an actual professional that I can get paid at this stuff like a lot of the ideas I was trying to put into my mind was like you're like, you're a writer. Like, I would tell myself, you're a writer, you're an intelligent writer, you're funny, like you do this. But like, I would like constantly like, um, put these ideas in my mind and repeat those to myself, um, just to like, become more prolific, you know, like I grew up like, or I wake up and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write like that's because in my head, I'm a writer. So that's what I do. I write. So I get up and I write jokes. And I, I had to put those ideas in my head to like, become more prolific to do it more regularly like I don't know have you ever kind of done the same to like become more like is this a work ethic kind of thing you know yeah you know what it's such an interesting thing because when you 
when you're going to try something new, you have to rewrite your identity, right? Like that's really what you're like. I don't know what you were like when you were a teenager or before you became a comedian, but once you try something new, you're like who the old me couldn't do this. So I have to become a new me. And so what does the new me look like? Well, I'm a writer, right? What does a writer do? Well, I, I act like this. I have this type of work ethic. I, I, whatever. So you're really rewriting your identity. That's hard work. Like that's really, really incredible. You should pat yourself on the back because when you're doing that work, man, like it, it can feel extremely difficult. And it's also important. I don't know if you know who Esther Perel is. Um, and this no. is totally going to be off top. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. <laughs> you have to, you have to check her out. Um, especially if you have intimate relationships in your life, like you have to check her out because she's phenomenal. Um, she's a, a, a psychotherapist, but really has dived into like, how do human beings react in relationship? Um, which to me is a fascinating topic. And she said, most people don't leave their partners or cheat because they're that ha unhappy with their partners. It's because they don't feel the freedom to be a new type of person around their partner. They don't like who they are around their partner and there's no freedom to change. Mm. And so you, if you are with a partner and you have to stay a certain way, you get tired of being that way. And eventually you go, I'd like to go experience a different side of me, right? Because that's how we grow and we learn, right? Like I think about it, you know, when I was a teenager, I loved to be with my friends. I love to party and do all kinds of fun things. That was my identity. But then I got married and I became, well, what is it like to be a wife? What does that look like? And so I had to change my identity. And now I have two teenage sons. So I had to go like, what does it look like to be a mom? And then now what does it look like to be a mom of teenage sons? And and I, I uh, for a long time, I didn't work because I had no purpose. And so I had to go like, oh, I'm a person who has no purpose. And then I changed my identity to a person who's very on purpose. All of those things took a shift in identity, which means I have to think differently. I have to value different things. I have to believe different things. I have to show up in different ways. And if those things aren't possible in your relationship, if you cannot change in your relationship, you will go, I'm sick and tired of being this person. So I'm leaving so that I can be that new person somewhere else. And so it's an interesting thing because my biggest suggestion to people who are struggling in their relationships is always allow for massive amounts of change. Like, what are you not experiencing in this relationship? What would you like to experience? Now make room for it in the current relationship. Then if you still don't want the relationship, it's time to move on. But at least you've tried in mm. this relationship instead of seeing a solution somewhere else. So I know that wasn't really your 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 oh, question. <laughs> no, I love that. That's uh, honestly, I think that was extremely valuable, though. Like, uh, it's true when you you have to shift your own identity when you want that change, and it's like you're right. It is. Uh, it can be tough, and uh, yeah, like uh, I don't know. I guess that suggestion is like, do you? What else do you kind of like? Uh, when you're talking about shifting an identity with hypnotherapy, is that like something you can also do? Like actually put uh, suggestions into the subconscious? Totally, right? That That is what you're doing. You're basically going, um, who who is the person that you want to be? And here's the interesting thing though, right? Like you are all those people anyway. And what you're really doing is you're giving your subconscious permission to release the memories, the ideas, the thoughts, et cetera, that that type of person would have. Because if you think about it, when you look, and, and I'm going to butcher this a little bit. So like, bear with me here. Ha, 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 but no if, you, if you look at, at jellyfish, let's say, right? I think it's jellyfish. If you see a jellyfish on its own, it beats to its own rhythm, right? 
the minute you put a bunch of jellyfish to get jellyfishes, I don't know, what do you, what do you call a group of jellyfish? Jellyfishes? <laughs> they must have some name. Anyway, if you put a group of jellyfish together, they begin to beat in harmony, right? They oh, nice. create something greater than themselves, mm. right? So like they on their own are something, but together there's something more. So they create a consciousness that is combined in the group. The group creates the consciousness. And so when you look at human beings, we're the same way, right? Like when we go to a concert, let's say you go to a concert, why do we all dance sort of the same way to the same sort of beat in the same kind of, you know, way? Or if, if you go, or if you've ever been in a situation where let's say you've been um, in a building and someone else fire, why do we all run to the same exit, right? Because human beings create a collective consciousness as well. And so we can connect to that collective consciousness. We're all of those things. We're, we're everything that's in the collective consciousness, but we pull down what we need in the moment, or sometimes something rests on us. So to think I'm only this thing is, is not really what, what's reality. Reality is you're all kinds of things and you can pull in all kinds of different ways of being, both because you're connected to a collective consciousness, right? So one, that, and two, as humans, you have unlimited potential for who you're going to be. And so to really begin to go, hmm, what am I going to pull in for myself? Like, what am I going to pull from my subconscious and from the collective consciousness in order to, to show up in this new way? Because to limit yourself as I am only one person or I'm only one type of person, that isn't real. You may have tendencies, but you can be whoever you want to be. That doesn't mean I want to be really clear. That doesn't mean you can be the next president of the United States. That doesn't mean you can be a basketball player. Like, I'm not saying I can be whoever I want to be. So, you know, I can, because there's limitations, there's systems, there's oppression, there's racism, there's all kinds of things that stop us. But the identity that you have, you can be whoever you want to be. Mm. You have complete freedom there. Like I'm, I'm under five feet, right? I'm four eleven and a half. I'm just <laughs> shy under five feet. I'm never going to play basketball. So when I say you can be whoever you want to be, no, I cannot be a basketball player. That's never going to happen for me. But I can show up in this world however I want because I have the resources. I simply need to call them to myself. Does that make sense? Am I, am I describing that in a way that makes sense? You no, I love that. And I, like, I think the unconscious part, like where we're, we're reaching into a collective unconscious and we can pull down what we need. I, I love that. And it's true. There is some sort of, or like, well, I feel it at least. I know it's like uh, something that like a lot of like different uh, philosophers have argued. Like there's this collective like, uh, unconscious that we're all kind of a part of, but I do really feel like that. And like, we can access that. And I think accessing that can give us give us something that's a lot greater than just something we can get through our self-will, which I think is uh, yeah. a lot more powerful. And I think a lot of spiritualities have like been like, get rid of the will or go past your own will and come to something that's, that's like a lot greater that we're all connected to, which yeah, I think it's a beautiful thing. And my kind of yeah. transitions into uh, my last question because I only yeah, have one more question. Uh, and Meg, this awesome. is the question of the podcast. Uh, God, yay. Or nay? Is it a one word answer? <laughs> you can answer to... any way you want. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this, I struggle with this because um, everything in me wants to long, longs that there's something, right? Like I long for there to be a God. So I would say, yay, if I think of my longing. Um, 
you know, do I think it's a white, you know, a white man with a long beard sitting up on a throne? Well, no, I don't think that. Um, but I think that there is something. And I think we can glimpse it. We get a glimpse of what it is when we're in connection with another human being, right? Every once in a while, when you're in connection with another human being, you create, I think you, you get the glimpse of God when you have an interaction with another person and you do it in a way that inspires love. And, and, and then you turn your head to look, where is it? She, he, and it's gone because you're not allowed to grasp God, right? Society, we've tried to grasp God. He is the Christian God. He is the many Hindu gods. She is the, you know, or the Buddha or whatever. And I think we're not allowed to possess God because then we will try to become God-like we will say we have it and so we can control it, but we glimpse him or her every time we're in an interaction, which is why I think it's so important to come to your interactions awake, aware, unconscious, because if you do that, you can just glimpse out of the corner of your eye what God is like, but you'll never get her, him, it. So I'm going to go with yay. <laughs> I love that. That's uh, <laughs> Hey, thank you for that. That was a beautiful answer. I really like that. Um, Meg, uh, thank you so much for doing this. This was amazing. Please tell my audience about your own podcast, about uh, where they can reach you, anything you want to promote. Please do that now. Oh, thanks for sure. No, if you're interested in this kind of conversation more, um, I do host a podcast called The Art of Being Human, and it is all about the deep questions in life. So if you like this, come take a listen, um, might be something beneficial for you. If you're looking for me, you can also just find me on my website, meghepner.com. There's all kinds of information um, there if it's if it's something you want to look into pretty simple just meghepner.com and otherwise like thank you for having me what a gift to have good conversation deep conversation i really appreciate it yeah no i appreciate it too uh thank you so much all right that was another episode thanks for listening everybody please like and subscribe to the podcast give it a good rating that always helps and share it with like-minded people i really do appreciate that you can check me out at newerkidy on instagram or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.